0: Hello and welcome to the Aquarius podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Aquarium Co-op. Aquarium Co-op is your one-stop shop for premium aquarium products to keep all your wet pets happy. Pick up top-quality foods like Extreme Krill Flakes, Hikari Vibrobites, or Aquarium Co-op small fish and fry food. And as always, Aquarium Co-op stocks a wide range of healthy and vibrant plants to add a splash of color and natural filtration to any aquarium. So head on over to www.aquariumcoop.com and check out all the goodies for yourself. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Friday, February 19th, 2021. My guest today is Zane Khaled. Zane is a multi-species fishing fanatic from Florida who runs the Instagram page Species Spotlight, where he's constantly posting amazing pictures of the native fish and fauna he comes across while out in nature. Zane is also a biology undergrad at the University of Central Florida. So Zane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you
1: very much for having me.
0: Yeah, so I think you might also be the guest that has the... least amount of knowledge about who the heck I am and I'm probably like the most like I th- this is the most like Randy as a complete stranger to a guest that I've ever had um and we can thank our friend uh, our mutual friend Ryan uh Ryan Kinney from the uh wild Fish tanks wildfishtanks.com uh, because he turned me on to you the last time I talked to Ryan maybe I don't know two three months ago now he had brought you up as somebody doing some really cool stuff in Florida. And uh, he, he said he shouted out your Instagram page, Species Spotlight, which I think I actually linked in the show notes of that interview. Um, and so, you know, you are one of the few people that I'm following on Instagram. And every day you are posting amazing pictures, just like I said in the bio. Um, and like, just straight up, I'm super jealous because you're out there just like getting in nature, what, what seems like every day. You say that you're a student. I question that because I think you're fishing more than you're actually going to school. Like, I don't know how you're doing that school fishing balance, but uh, I love your Instagram page, man. And I'm so glad that, uh, you know, you're willing to come on to a complete strangers podcast and, uh, and just talk with me.
1: Yeah, actually, a couple of my friends who listen to the podcast... We're like, oh, Ryan's mentioned you. Martin's mentioned you uh, in the podcast. So I was like, oh, let me let me listen to this. And I know Ryan. Oh, nice. We've been talking. We've been talking a while on Instagram. But I've been meaning to go fishing with him for a while because he just he lives in Orlando too. So we actually have some plans to do something this year.
0: Oh, that's but, awesome. Yeah. How did you? How did you, uh, you and Ryan uh, get to know each other?
1: Um, it was
0: through Instagram.
1: I don't remember exactly. Must have just been through Instagram. I think he okay. may have had a question about an ID, or uh, maybe I think he was. There was a video of him just catching fish in one of my local spots too, um, with the Aquarium Co-op. I think they were going to one of our local Orlando spots, filled with cichlids and live bears.
0: Is and, that was I in that video? Was that the one where I was this? I mean, this had to have been a couple of years ago because because Cor, uh, Corey and I went out there for one of the uh, pet trade industry expos. I think it was February of two thousand. 18 maybe or 2019 uh and yeah it's re- an older video yeah I don't, I don't
1: remember if you're in it or not
0: but yeah i just remember
1: he was there and uh the aquarium co-op guy was there and you're like oh like that's that's my friend found that spot and put it on the map and i went
0: nice <laughs> so yeah nice is it the um, yeah? Because because he took us out to a park and I I couldn't tell you directionally like where it was from from yeah. where, where Ryan lives in Orlando, but it was a good like forty forty minute drive I think from where he lived and at the time like all he had was these like dollar store butterfly nets and the one like good net that we had was a a fraybill. Um, you know maybe a one foot handle for scooping out uh, bait out of like a live well so you know compared to like what you probably should have and I know what he has now for like the kind of like Jonas net like the really really good wild fish collecting nets um, made it a little challenging you know so yeah you know they, like the fish had to be real close to where we were and like the moment you went to plunge that uh, that butterfly net into the water like the head just completely bent right <laughs> like there's yeah. just no there's like no <laughs> neck strength
1: yeah. I've had that happen before. Um, that, that little spot is just full of convict cichlids and all sorts of different, uh, like platys and sword tails. Um, that's actually a spot we go to. We've been to a lot, uh, caught our lifer convict cichlid and a couple different, yeah, those live bears. Um, yeah, that spot is interesting cause, uh, it's in the middle of Orlando and you got all these aquarium fish, there's a little tiny stream and there's very few native fish in there. Um, but yeah, my, my buddy found that place quite a long time ago and, now it's kind of one of the famous places where all the multi-species anglers who come to Orlando kind of hit up that spot on the way through town mm.
0: and to that's, get their lifers there. Yeah, that was that was a real fun trip. And, and seeing um, self and Molly's in the water, like kind of with a male, you know, doing his thing, uh, showing off his fin to the, the females that were around him. And it was just a nice, beautiful, sunny day and watching the, you know, the sun, the light reflecting off of his iridescence it was so cool man Uh, yeah that's
1: that's some of the coolest coolest fish here in Orlando is those native mollies they're everywhere absolutely everywhere Mm -hmm. you see those males in the sun those blue tails really really light
0: up yeah super super cool so all right Zay, where where do we want to start with what is uh let's start with what's multi-species fishing um and why are you so so rabid about this
1: well um so multi-species fishing is really just fishing for many different types of fish at its most basic definition it's just fishing for more than one but the the real like the real goal of multi-species fishing is to catch many species of fish or even as as many as you possibly can so there's a whole other there's a whole um term for this called lifeless fishing it's really uh kind of goes back to like the roots of pokemon and trying (laughs) to fill, fill out a pokedex and there you go so there so we all keep keep a list of of different species we've caught um through our our time for multi-species fishing and um yeah that's that's really a whole uh, aspect to it is just having fun with that and kind of trying to fill out your pokedex um and uh another thing another thing is is we i really uh, most of us really just love fish and loving fish is not always the same as loving fishing because i know people who love fishing and loving fish is like a whole other thing too so i love to see all the different diversity of fish and Catching small ones, big ones, and each one is really unique. And I love about I love that too about, about fish.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I could I could echo that that um, you know, and, and nothing there's nothing wrong with as a fisherman, as an angler, um, you know, you're going after fish for the the thrill of a tug on the line or maybe you're going for uh, something to to fill your freezer, perhaps. Uh, but it's, it, at that point, it's almost like the fish is the chase and the commodity, and it, it and there's really nothing beyond like I caught the thing, I got the thrill, and then I'm gonna maybe I'm gonna consume this or I'll do catch and release, right? Where what you're saying, right, and where I think I line up with you is that you know, the fish is not just a commodity. Like each individual fish is then the genus, the species, the habitat, right? The biotope, the, the, the environment, like everything about that experience, um, is really, really what you're into. And it's so cool.
1: Exactly. A yeah, multi-species fishing really does combine those two things. And, uh, the chase for rare species is something else, but it's just like a lot of, it's just a whole lot of fun. And, I love to see different types of fish in the water mm-hmm. so
0: and, and to be clear like the one of the really um, fascinating <clears throat> aspects of the multi-species fishing that you're doing Is on the micro side, and I think that's where you know this this podcast and what you do, you know, they kind of touch each other a little bit, right? And we and we have this kind of common ground of you are actually doing micro fishing, which for those that don't know what micro fishing is, it's something that I I think I just heard about it maybe two years ago, Um, but like using the smallest tackle possible um, to catch or maybe it's not even the smallest tackle possible, but you are going after what is traditionally, from an angling perspective, something that you would never dream of targeting. You're targeting the smallest of the small fish that are in the water. And I'm not talking like bluegill, right? I'm not talking fish like that. Like a bluegill is massive for like what I feel like you're catching on Instagram. You know, this isn't like smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, which you you catch those too. This isn't bluegill Mm -hmm. and sunfish, or maybe some of the smaller sunfish. This is like killifish this is the small like gambusia these are the small live bears like you are actually with tackle with hook and line fishing angling for those fish
1: exactly that and that really kind of started when I'd been fishing for about a year or two years in in, in Florida maybe maybe a year I'd been fishing in Florida and I'd caught all the big fish and I'd been like okay well now I got a figure out what else to catch because the whole point of molest species fishing is really to catch more and more and more and more different species um and i was like well i'd seen a few people using these micro hooks and i was like i need to try this i really need to try this so i got my first couple like tiny hooks and it's really a challenge at first you're gonna you're gonna the the hooks that you get they're called tanago hooks and it it stems from japan Mm -hmm. it comes from japan and uh they catch these fish over there called called Tanago fish, and they're like little little cipranids. They're little almost they they look like a tetra, but they're little cipranids, little, little shiner looking fish. Um, called bitterling is what they're called is their official name, and uh, they fish for those little fish exclusively over there sometimes. But here, I was like, well, I, I could sit here and catch a thousand mosquito fish in in an hour, but. It, the pushing the limits of microfishing was really to see h- how many different fish can I go and catch and find, and that's a whole aspect to it and uh i would uh I had my my tanago hooks and I was started catching more and more and more fish and that's really how it all started going down
0: Let's try and give people a uh, a perspective like what is a what is a good comparison of the size of a tanago fish to something the average uh the average person out there would be like oh, it's it's the size of you know this item that I would commonly find in my house that is crazy small.
1: Yeah, um, well, these fish that we're normally targeting are two inches or less. Um, and we're using hooks uh, that might be considered like a size 30-something fly hook, but they're even smaller than that sometimes. Um, and yeah, these fish, anything under three inches really can be considered micro.
0: Okay, so I found one. I found a... Um so on the NANFA forum, which I, I still need to get somebody from NANFA on the podcast. That's the North American Native Fish Association. Um, they have a picture of a Tanago hook. with a, There's a Tanago online. There's a Daiichi number 26 and a Mustad number 20. So Diachi and Mustad are, are brands of, of fish hooks for people out there. 26, 20, those are going to be the, the size. And they have it next to a penny. Um, so if you get a penny out, the Tanago hook is a... It's like if you put it on Lincoln's nose, it reaches up to his hairline on a penny. That's how small this yeah. is.
1: It's they're absolutely tiny, minuscule. It's it's amazing how many times I'll lose one in my shirt. breaks. That's insane the of microphone can be extremely frustrating if uh you're cause you're gonna be breaking hooks and losing them in places where you're like and the the line is like thinner, it's like a hair hair diameter
0: and uh how do you even tie that i have a hard enough time tying like a normal braid to a normal yeah. sized hook like i feel yeah, i still, feel like a, a bumbling fool when i try to tie that i could not imagine i would have to pay more to get like the pre the pre-tied ones or something
1: yeah typically uh, I, would, I would recommend the, the pre-snelled ones they come like that with a uh, red monofilament line it's like a it's like a hair hair diameter to it, and uh I'll tie a loop knot to my main line, but after I had been doing it for a while i started started tying my own hooks because it was uh it was cheaper to buy them unsnelled oh for sure, it's a loose hook, and then um I could actually change the line and make make adjustments to the line and actually have each line has different properties to it, and I could use that in my advantage when uh when it comes to fishing,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I mean this is. God, they're just so small. It's like mind-numbing how small these things are. Um, what does like what's the pound strength of the monofilament that on the pre-snelled ones? Or like what's the pound that you're is it like a, a quarter pound test?
1: It must be like a half or a quarter pound. It's it's like nothing. Like like a like a four-inch bluegill could break you off on this. Wow. Like they're not, yeah, they're not meant to withstand much force. For sure. And and uh but I, I actually started tying my own ones. That uh, with like a two-pound tippet, fluorocarbon tippet from like a fly fly line, uh-huh. and I, I actually found that I actually have better better uh, like breaking strength with that. So like that really comes into play more like if you're like fishing around grass then you will get your, your line stuck in the grass.
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: uh, that 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 hook will like doesn't want to come out very often. Uh, but I've actually been able to use my slightly heavier line to pull it out of the grass. But it's really just for um, durability's sake.
0: Yeah, helps. Yeah, because to give more perspective again for people that aren't that aren't fishermen. Um, so if you were going to go target, say bass, like you would use, let's just say standard monofilament fishing line, um, maybe eight pound test, maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah, eight pound, six pound, yeah. four pound. You could use anything down, yeah. like to four pound is pretty typical right. for for bass fishing. If you're like trying to be finesse about it, yeah. um, but it, they use up to, to lines like sixty five pound braid sometimes. Yeah,
0: but, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: This is not about this is not about the fish pulling line this is not about the fish breaking your line you, if uh-huh. you're if the fish is breaking your line that fish was like you didn't want to target that fish anyway. Uh-huh. Is this how see how that goes? Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I just want people to have that comparison of like okay, the normal fishing I may know like you got to like peel that you got to scale it down so much to like yeah. start approaching the micro exactly. fishing perspective the hook the line. What about like the rod and the reel, or are you just doing like um what's the What's the fly fishing one where it's just the straight pole and they just kind of like yeah. Th- what what is well, that?
1: That's, that's called a tenkara. Tenka- ten- tenkara. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, tenkara rod, and I use those, but like I use like the like the like the Chinese fake ones because the tenkara rods themselves are like really if they're like the proper ones in Japan really expensive, yeah. um and they're like meant for like trout fishing and streams mm-hmm. over there, and they make they make a tonaga rod which is usually like. Uh, six foot long when it extends out all the way, but um, those are really really expensive. So I I I usually use uh the cheap t- Chinese ones, usually ten dollars on eBay or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also use just like a stick. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been out and I'm like, oh, I need I need a rod and don't have my rod with me right now, and I would use a stick, bamboo stick or any any sort of twig from a tree will work. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of times I've even just used my hand. You don't even need a rod often.
0: Nice. Yeah, and it just depends if you need to get like maybe beyond a, um, a exactly. little bit of grass or something like that. You're just looking for that length to just extend where you're going to drop the line. Exactly. Um, it's
1: all about reach. It's all about reach. Mm-hmm. If the fish are up close, you, you, you use a shorter rod. If the fish are skittish and want to stay away and are kind of far out, then I like to use a, like a seven, eight, nine. I've even used 12-foot rods on the regular mm-hmm. when I'm fishing for shiners and stuff like that. Mm-hmm.
0: So what, what what are you then doing? Uh, what are you putting on the, on the end of this... Tanago, uh, hook because a traditional like power bait little ball is going to be like twice the size of this hook. Like what is like, what I guess, walk me through like, all right, we've got our, we've got our hook, we've got our line, you know, let's say we're cheeky and we put it on like a nice little twig, right? We got like, we got this nice, like six foot twig or something. Uh, what do we do from there?
1: Well, typically, uh, I will use a worm. just a piece, piece of a worm. You can go to the, just go to any like bait store, get a couple packs of red worms, and you don't even, you don't need much at all, at all. One pack of worms will last you like more than you'll ever need for, for fishing for a day. And
0: you just use like the
1: tiniest, tiniest little like, like a, just a fleck, a fleck of worm. Like, is a, like it's like, it. it's
0: like one cell, like one cell of yeah. worm Sometimes, DNA yeah, or something. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like a little sliver of worm. And for the for the more aggressive fish like killifish or mosquito fish, you can use larger pieces, and then sometimes you need to downsize just to that fleck, to the, just to that little piece. Sunfish will typically go for a larger piece, uh, and killifish like that larger piece too. But you, it, it depends on which which species you're targeting. So worms is one of the best baits. In Japan, they like to use like a, like a rice or like a sort of like a rice paste sometimes for those for those bitterling. Um, I've used artificial baits uh, pretty regularly. If I don't have worms or live worms on me, I'll use artificial like a gulp, like a gulp or like a like a power bait type of thing. And really, you just want that hook shank just just barely covered in that in that in that bait there, and mm-hmm. you want the hook point exposed. So it's really 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 small.
0: I mean finesse. Like there's everything yeah. in this. Like we haven't even put really the hook in the water at this point as we're talking about it. But like every part of this is finesse, and it sounds like. You know, oh, is regular fishing? You find it too easy, and you want to challenge? Come deal with this tiny, microscopic stuff, and like it's ex- uh-
1: it's it's hilarious you say that because there's sort of like a, a misconception about microfishing is that like oh, it's easy catching small fish, and these a lot of these people who say kind of stuff like that they don't even know what real micro fishing is. Uh, I do a lot of ultralight fishing, and that gets. That gets mis uh, mislabeled as micro fishing way too often, and it's not the
0: same at all. Well, there's a there's almost a certain, and, and again, this will depend by species, but you know there are just certain types of fish where you can over um, you can overdo everything in terms of a strength and size, and the fish will still bite, right? Like, and then it's just a yeah. no matter of you wearing down the fish. Where this is like you don't you don't really get that luxury, like you have to. It's all about the present. Well, I'm assuming it's all about the presentation. You want the smallest hook possible for, uh, for the fish in order to get them to actually in, to be enticed. Because I mean, the, the, their mouths are tiny. They're ridiculously mm-hmm. tiny exactly. on these
1: fish. Um, yeah, there's a pretty there's a, there's actually a couple different options when it comes to the micro hooks, and you'll use the right hook for the right job depending on the size of the fish's mouth. So so things like top minnows. Like fundulus, they have pretty large mouths, so you can get away with a larger hook. But fish like uh, fish like those little least killifish, you need to use the smallest, smallest stuff.
0: And the the least killifish is that the one that's the smallest livebearer, and it's in smallest livebearer, okay, yeah, smallest livebearer in the world.
1: I think they're like the, They're the smallest. They might be the smallest vertebrate in North America. They're the seventh smallest fish in the world. Wow, uh, I think that that's if I remember correctly. That's cool.
0: So let's let's really like sync this up with the aquarium hobby, right? So um hopefully a lot of people out there that are listening to this, they're familiar with the least killifish. Um let's say Zane wants to go out and target specifically target least killifish. And maybe we'll do this with a couple different aquarium species or North American species that people kind of keep in aquariums depending on, you know, how much you're into native fish. So if I wanted to go out and we wanted to go out and target some uh, least killifish uh, what is kind of the habitat we're looking for? Maybe you don't have to give out your secret spots. What are we putting on the hook for bait? How is our presentation? Uh, what's their typical behavior? Like, just kind of walk me through that.
1: So, least killifish are actually one of the most widespread microbes in Florida. They're like everywhere, down the Everglades, all the way up north. And they're pretty much everywhere you find mosquito fish for the most part. Um, so, the hardest part about finding those guys is seeing them because they're so small. And they live with mosquito fish and telling them apart is, is really, really difficult if you're not sure what they are, if you're not sure what to look for. So what I actually did for a while was I went out with my nets. I was like, let me go find some fish. I went out with my, my dip nets netted around my local spots. I was like, oh wow, at least killifish are absolutely everywhere. Took a couple back in my aquarium and watched them. I watched them exactly how they fed. I watched how they swam, compared them to the mosquito fish because they swim different if you watch them up close. They swim different than mosquito fish. So, when I went out to target them, I knew exactly what I was seeing. I was like, oh, "That's a least killifish. That's a mosquito fish," and I could tell them apart. Um, and I had I had the hook uh, as a as a, one of the it was the smallest hook at the time, I think, as the Gamagatsu Ultimate hook, and uh, tiny 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 little little bit of worm. And I, when I was out there, and I finally did see one, sure enough, they they ate the bait because they they actually are pretty like. Opportunistic when it comes to food, they'll eat, they'll eat like like I need like most live versions in your aquarium. You'll, as soon as you put them in, they'll eat the flake food. They'll eat frozen, fresh. You oh know. yeah, oh yeah. So that's actually one, which is not a picky eater at all, and it's its size is and is the the sole thing that makes it hard to catch. It's just really, really, really small.
0: Mm-hmm. And then I, I guess from my memory of being out there in Florida, uh, the gambusia tended to be closer to shore, at least at this particular spot, and not really in cover necessarily like they were just kind of out and about yeah yeah that
1: that tends to happen a lot especially in like disturbed habitats without like many like maybe not so many predators or without much natural grass they'll just be in a school like a super school just swimming around um but i actually find in, in natural places they're not like overabundant or too overbearing in certain natural places but yeah disturbed areas you'll find Super, super, super many. Like they're there are a species of fish I would consider like a weed. They do well in disturbed areas.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, and for those so, of, and for those that yeah. are curious, the uh, the scientific name of Heter, heterandria formosa. So mm-hmm. That's, that's our,
1: the yeah, least killifish. So the mosquito fish are actually like an extreme challenge when it comes to micro fishing, because they are absolutely ravenous.
0: Yeah. yeah, Schools of, yeah.
1: Schools of piranhas, just, they will never (laughs) leave your bait alone. You put anything in the water, sometimes they'll just come in swarms of hundreds of them, just like attacking your bait. Um, and that's, that's definitely one of the big challenges if you're trying to target other species of fish when, uh, in Florida, especially.
0: So this almost sounds like, you know, as a, as a parent, if I were interested in getting my son or daughter into fishing, you know, obviously not having them try to mess with these small, small hooks or try to do any tying, but just going out to one of these spots and just letting them catch gambusia, right? Like that would probably be a pretty fun experience for them, right?
1: Definitely. You know what? That's still, I took my sister fishing once and that's the only form of fishing she likes is just catching mosquito fish. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, when you're, when you're in the beginning, it's all about quant- uh, quantity over quality. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, it is just, I don't care what it is. If it's in the water, um, I had this experience in San Diego when I used to live down there. There was this thing called the eelfish, right? Um, I could mm-hmm. not give you the, well, maybe I could try to give you the, the actual genus since you're uh, since you're so scientifically inclined, my friend. Uh, but the eelfish are on the bottom. Uh, typically, when you are fishing in the San, or in the San Diego Bay, uh, one of the fun things to go after is the spotted bay bass. Uh, mm-hmm. really, yep. really voracious, uh, little species, um, kind of a junk fish. Like, so you're not keeping them to eat. Although some people do, um, I was always catching release with those guys. And so I'm kayak fishing in San Diego, which you cannot beat that setup. Like it's, it's kind of perfect. Um, and so going after spotted Bay bass, really, really good times. But if you leave your bait, uh, or you're, you're, if you're doing too much like lure jigging on the bottom, that's where all the eel fish are. And the eel fish were just like the, um, are just like those gambusias, right? Like, they're just going after everything. Uh, they're tearing up your bait. They're just eating the tails of the uh, of the swim bait, so they're messing up your plastic baits. And then, of yeah. course, you, you are going to catch them, and as you pull them up, they are the ugliest, slimiest, nastiest-looking fish out there. You know, you got to hold on to them to try to get them off your hook, and then your hand. It's like the slime coating is like 10 times that of what's on a fish. Like, the the viscosity and like you just can't, you're like you're rubbing your hand on the side of your kayak trying to scrape all this stuff off. But in the beginning, because I was catching fish, like I didn't care that it was eel fish. But you know, after about a year and a half of doing that, it's like, all right, eel fish, I'm tired of catching you. I gotta, get, yeah, I gotta yeah. get better with my technique. So I'm not, you know, I'm not setting the hook on an eel fish nibble or you know. You, you start to learn those kinds of uh, characteristics of. You know who who's doing these exploratory bites and kind of you know how they're how they're you know attacking the the bait or or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I want to look up eelfish though. That sucker was just so nasty. But yeah,
1: that that's actually one of the one of the first things you realize when you start micro fishing is that the mosquito fish will never leave you alone. And then if you want to start targeting other fish, you gotta sort of avoid them. So that's the that's like. A lot of the a lot of microfishing is trying not to catch those
0: fish. That's so funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, all right, so let's say so on some previous episodes of the podcast, I've built up this huge buzz for myself on the Oki Finoki pygmy sunfish. and I believe yes. that fish and the other ones in the Ellisoma family is it uh, genus Is it an yeah. uh, genus? Um, you, yeah they're in their
1: own, they're in their own family too, but you they're, they're, they're a genus.
0: You've caught you've caught the Okefenokee and the the other pygmy sunfish that are out in your area, right? You've caught a couple different ones. Yeah, I, I actually net a bunch
1: of Elosoma around my local spots. Um, I have a lot of Everglades, and I have a lot of Okefenokee in my local river. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually caught, um, uh, on hook and line, I've caught Everglades a couple times. I have not yet caught the Okefenokee on a, on a hook and line.
0: That's oh. one I'm
1: actually trying to catch.
0: Okay. I better fly out there and we can, we can go target this thing, man. Let's do it. Um, so, so (laughs) they they are
1: incredibly difficult to catch on a hook of I've only caught two
0: on my whole life. So let's talk about that. You taught, you've caught two of the pygmy sunfish so far. What, what was different about that? What was your setup? Um, like what was that experience like?
1: So yeah, that was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. So I do a lot of exploring around here, around the Econ La River. That's my local river here in Orlando. And, um, I see a lot of these places near the river that are like fl- they're like flooded puddles, uh, just like swamp swamp puddles, and they they sort of dry up uh, during the low water, and then when the summer rains come again, they fill up with water again. And so uh, finally, when I got my my nice dip net, I went out dip netting looking for what kind of fish are in these puddles and what kind of fish are out in j- just all over the place. And I, I found a puddle absolutely loaded with with Everglades pygmy sunfish. Literally a puddle, like. Cannot make this up—a puddle of grass and mud with just loads of pygmy sunfish, and there was no no other fish in there besides those, just everglades pygmy sunfish. So um, I was like, "Well, if I'm gonna ever have a chance to catch this fish, I'm gonna—it's it's gonna be here," you know. And uh, so I, me and my friend, we went, we timed it again, we timed it back at the right time, went there, and using little, little, tiny live microworms in this. Uh, in this uh, puddle, we fished for, like, what, four hours or something like that, and I didn't catch one. He caught one.
0: So, and, uh, so you, would, you would think that, like, you're almost kind of shooting fish in a barrel at that point, but, like, them being so stubborn and them not wanting to uh, to take a bite, even though they're all exactly. in this very, very dense area. Do you, yeah. do you think maybe, maybe they are in more of, like, a survival, like, they know it's the dry season, they know their little water spot's drying up, and you know reactionary bites or you know feeding is not maybe wasn't at the top of their of their mind or maybe your past experiences of like knowing that okay it's not in a puddle i know that they're there and they're still not biting
1: it's, it's, it's a little tricky to 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 put my finger on they actually are fairly aggressive feeders if you put the right live bait um but the, the struggle is they live like on the bottom and at the grass so getting one Getting a bait to them is is a is a struggle, and because it's because it's such a small target, a small target is harder harder to hit than a big target. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like a one inch fish, and they're in this even though they're in a puddle, in the most condensed you'll ever see one, it's it's hard to that's, get a bait to one. You
0: know, that's actually we haven't talked about that yet. So tiny, 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 microscopic hook on um, uh, on God, why am I drawing a blank on on monofilament? Wouldn't that just float?
1: Actually, that is true. That is true. That's one of the things I've had to, like, overcome. So most people will just put a split shot, right? Oh, so that's, like, okay. the first thing you'll do is you'll put a tiny little weight. Small. Some people, depending on the current and the depth, you'll change the size of the weight. Um, but in these tiny puddles, I've actually found that the split shot will spook some of these sure. tiny, tiny little fish. Elisoma, yeah. I've noticed um, in my aquariums, actually, that they're really sensitive to vibrations. And they'll spook at any sign of, like. They're unsafe, you know. Right. So what I had to do was tie my own uh, fluorocarbon's leader, mm-hmm. fluorocarbon leader, and I, that's that actually helps the the line sink without any weight. Yeah, yeah. And so I use that often in shallow water where there's no um, current, and I'm I'm sight fishing uh, or or just so yeah anytime I'm fishing in shallow water I don't I don't need a weight, mm. and that that's helped me many many times with with very like uh spooky fish fish that are going to s- shy away from any sort of vibration and go back into the weeds that's helped a lot
0: yeah yeah so again that that fishing 101 uh monofilament floats is typically less expensive um has a bit more bounce to it compared to fluorocarbon which to the person that doesn't fish like they would look the exact same but fluorocarbon heavier um a little bit more difficult to tie right like it's got a little bit yeah. more rigidity to it but it's also virtually invisible in the water as well which is a really nice property yeah. of fluorocarbon especially if you're going after mm-hmm. spooky fish for sure um, yeah
1: the line the line being visible or not really visible is it doesn't normally come into a like effect when we're fishing um I don't, i'm not sure i can't really explain I, they don't really they don't really care about the line sure they it just looks like a piece of weeds in the water usually to them. You know, or...
0: and that's that's, the, that's one of the funny things about fishing is uh, there's green tinted, there's clear, there's, um, when it comes to braid, there's blues, yellows, and whites. And everybody has their own experience and opinion about color of fishing line, whether it matters, mm-hmm. whether it doesn't matter. So that's one of those funny things that, like, I think the manufacturers are going to continue to make all the different varieties because they want your sales. Yeah. But you know, it'd be, it would be really funny if there was like some grand scientific experiment that, and maybe, maybe certain species it does matter, but like to try to help dispel that, like, does line color even matter? Does, you know, does uh transparency or does the virtual invisibility of fluorocarbon in the water compare to monofilament? Or is it more maybe it's more like vibrations. Maybe that matters more. Maybe like Four yep. carbon transmits less vibration in the water than a monofilament or you know, maybe there's something and to that.
1: Diameter is a huge factor as well, cause uh yeah, because braid is a thinner line but mm-hmm. it's visible. But I feel like if you're fishing in mud, they're gonna feel that braid less than a, a heavier line. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're feeling they're feeling the line. They're not seeing it, they're feeling it. Yeah. Sometimes
0: not that it matters but, yeah, with, my,
1: with microfishing, it doesn't it doesn't it's never mattered to me yet. Mm. It's never mattered to me. I haven't found a fish that's, like, seen my line, and it's like, well, I'm not going to go for that. I've caught fish in clear water with straight braid. I've caught fish in muddy water with fluorocarbon. It, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, and when you, so when you were fishing for these uh, Everglades pygmy sunfish, you said that you're using microworms. In my experience, microworms for, like, feeding your, your fry or very, very small fish, they are incredibly tiny, like, yeah. microscopic. How did you get that on a hook? Did you like just smoosh so it these, into a paste?
1: These are a little bit. These are a little bit thicker okay. than the, like the little like uh, aquatic worms you're, you might culture for your aquarium. Gotcha. These are like little earthworms. Okay. Like little, okay. Little, okay. Little earthworms. I have a video somewhere of of what it looks like on my on my Instagram. They're just these little little tiny like maybe one inch, two inch long worms, gotcha. and they're thin. They're very thin, and so it makes it easy to rig on a Tanaga hook without it. Um, getting you can still actually have the live action which is huge cuz are like live food and mm-hmm. that live fresh fresh uh fresh bait and the live movement is going to be huge for that um so yeah that helps a lot
0: when you uh, when you kept the uh, oki finoki in your aquarium were you feeding them a, an exclusive diet of live foods or were you able to get them on some prepared or frozen you stuff? know what the
1: first time i kept Elisoma,
0: i couldn't identify them first of all i didn't know which one was
1: which when I first started doing this like four years ago, three years ago. And, um, I also kept them ex- in, in a tank that I didn't feed them at all. I kept them in a tank with plenty of, uh, it was like a, almost a critter keeper. It was a, mm-hmm. a critter keeper, no filter, maybe, maybe, maybe three gallons, two gallons. I kept it. I tried to breed them actually didn't work cause they probably had two different species, <laughs> but, um, uh, I was able to get some videos of them feeding, and I never, I, never fed, I never put anything in the tank. It was just like whatever microorganisms were growing in there, and I watched them in the grass feeding on little, little uh, I think, maybe larval, uh, larval. Uh, what are they called, amphipods or something mm-hmm. like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. All right, so let's talk then about another species. What is a, um, maybe like targeting some, um, was it not, uh, fungulus? No,
1: not yeah. Is
0: it fun. Yeah, yeah, well, That's our native oh. uh, Kili, right?
1: Yeah, we have we have we have a couple different killi fish. Um, fundulists are like one of the most di- like more diverse groups in, in the United States. I think they're the, like the most diverse killi fish here. Um, they range all out th- all throughout the East Coast, and I think there's like, even a few killifish fish on the West Coast that are in the fundulist genus. Anyway, uh, yeah, we have plenty of different uh, fundulists here in Florida, and they're actually one of the easier fish to to, to target. Mm-hmm. Um, The first one you might find here in Florida would be the golden top minnow. They're Mm. widespread, kind of common. You'll find them usually alongside like the mosquito fish and the mollies. And they're they're pretty, very, very very common around here. Um, And fundalists, in my experience, are rarely picky eaters. They feed usually off the surface. Mm -hmm. You put a piece of worm, you put a piece of bread, you put it, you put some, you maybe even put a um, piece of rice or anything like that. They'll, they'll eat it pretty quick usually.
0: Yeah. And the golden top minnow, that is a beautiful fish too. Like that is, that is not a bad looking fish. Yeah. The golden top minnow, uh,
1: they're, they're, they're awesome. And they even come with a kind of sort of a rarer, um, a variant oh. that's a melanistic, melanistic variant and the males will get the black spots. And that's a, that's a genetic trait actually. So those are really, really cool. I find those, uh, often here, but usually it's like not every place will have them. It's like, sort of runs in the population.
0: Oh, I see it now. It's almost like, um, uh, to, to try to compare it to an aquarium, to like a, a typical aquarium fish, it's like the um, like Dalmatian-y kind of looking uh, platies, yeah, like that black exactly. splotching. It's cool. That's actually really yeah. neat. Except it only occurs in the males. Mm. So that, that's a
1: really cool one. Um, actually, mosquito fish will get that too. Um, our native mollies will get that too. That ma- the males will get that black spotting.
0: Interesting. Why, what, what's the theory behind that?
1: Um, I know it has to do with, with, with heat and the warmer temperatures increase the likelihood, but I think it also just boils down to random mutation and then it becomes genetic.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you ever, what, what is like the wildest mutation that you've ever caught out there? Have you come across like any true oh, albinos wow. or like, what, what are you seeing?
1: Very actually recently, I think it was just, uh, end of last year. I found a bluefin killifish that was completely like solid white, um, I think we called it leucistic, but it didn't seem albino. Um, or maybe it was zan- xanthic. Uh, I forgot the term for it. But it was a bluefin killifish, completely, completely white. And I've I talked to guys who collect killifish here in Florida. They've netted thousands thousands, millions of different killifish and they've never seen one like that before
0: wow. so you're like so, so that's like pulling up the blue the blue lobster you know off off the coast of exactly Maine, you know it's yeah. like, like one, i remember uh, when
1: we first saw it i remember when we first saw it we had no clue what it was and i just told my friend grab the net grab the <laughs> net we did this
0: thing
1: immediately like we had no clue if it was like a native or, or like a, like some sort of aquarium fish but then as soon as we netted it we're like this is a bluefin killifish it's like so weird looking and my friend took it back and we we're like we could breed these before we could breed these it, and uh Ended up not doing well in this tank and died. Oh, unfortunately, yeah. it would have been so cool to breed a line of like golden bluefin killies. it's, it's truly uh, it's very sad.
0: <laughs> Do you have that but, one? Uh, did you get a picture of that one to put on your uh, yeah. your account? I got
1: a picture of it here. I can send a link to you. Yeah, please but, if you've got it.
0: Yeah, I'd love to love to see that thing because I mean, as they are, are the bluefish killie, the bluefin killifish is a pretty that's a pretty cool fish yeah. too.
1: So this this thing was completely colorless, um, just kind of golden yellow. Um, And it was a female. I wonder what a male would have looked like.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Because males typically, if they're not, if they're not like, if they're a typical male will have the blue fins and they'll have a a dark stripe going down, have a red tail. Um, But this thing had no color at all. Like no stripe, nothing.
0: So let's see here. I want to compare this one to, let's see here. Wow. Yeah. That's so neat. That's cool. That's cool that you've got like a one in a million kind of fish. Yeah,
1: I, I, and the thing is, those fish are even, like, are rare to be produced, and even rarer to, like, find, because they don't survive in the wild. They just get, like, eaten.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that, the, the distinctive black bar going through the eye, is that, is that fairly uncommon to other fish in the area? Like, you know, misidentification, or like, no, it's got that, only the bluefin killie in this area has that black bar through uh, the eye. Really,
1: the black, well, that, that black bar is, like, is in bluefin killie fish, yeah. Um, but, it also like the, the 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 shape and the fins mm. and the mouth. It all it's all we know, like, It's not a misidentification. That's a bluefin killie. Yeah. but it's interesting. You mentioned that the little eyes, the eye line. A, a lot of fish have like lines through that eye. It's like a teardrop. Mm. Um, yeah, I
0: hey, know. For for the record, I totally believe you. Yeah, if you say this is a bluefin killie, I'm with you, Zane. No, and this looks yeah, yeah. cool. That's awesome though that you found something. Is there anything else that is you know kind of a genetic mutation that you've seen out there that was that was interesting?
1: Um, not really thinking of anything uh, like that I can think of right off the top of my head, but that, that one really comes to mind is that bluefin killie. Cause I've never seen anything like that before. and never will probably.
0: Mm-hmm. And now you are out there. It seems like once every day, <laughs> it seems like once a day it, it, you're catching it, it fishing. It seems that way, but uh, yeah. How often are you actually going out and uh, exploring and, and doing fishing and netting or whatever it is you're doing?
1: during my semester, it's usually once or twice, maybe three times a week. but um, weekends, I try to go once once a weekend during this semester. But when I'm off of my school, I'll go like every day if I can, even if that means just biking to a local spot or mm-hmm. or, or maybe taking maybe planning a trip with some friends and driving two hours to like the National Forest or something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: And now, so given that you're out there so frequently, What are the crazy things that you're seeing? And what I'm going to eventually get at is, as again, as a West Coast guy that is not used to living in a state with alligators and pythons and all the other crazy stuff that Florida has. I am just fascinated by your wildlife, whether they're native or invasive. Um, I mean, my most recent trip there a couple months ago, you know, seeing roadkill iguana. Like mm-hmm, you don't, yeah. you don't really get road kill iguana much other places than Florida. And then going to, uh, I actually did a, a little bit of birding my last day there. I went to treetop park outside of Fort Lauderdale. Does that sound, am I making up the name of that park? But, uh, I went out to a, um, what was on like the Florida birding trail, um, and got to see uh, some really, really cool, uh, birds that were there, but then also got to walk around and see, um, I don't know which tilapia species, but it was just packed with tilapia. I think I saw a spotted gar there. Um, You know, it was just a really, really fun experience walking around and and seeing all the different fish in there. And then seeing, like, these huge cichlid tilapia fish then guarding – thousands of eggs right because the this this park had a uh, kind of a wetland uh, boardwalk area and then just seeing into the crystal clear water that's only a couple feet deep as it is but just seeing like you know a fallen log or a, a, fa- a large fallen branch that's just you know a, a six inch by six inch patch of log that's just covered in eggs and watching these fish, yeah. like, and watching these fish defending their eggs was so cool super cool yeah
1: Down south, there's absolutely tons of cichlids that have just gotten released and established over the years. But uh, I don't don't do too much in south Florida just because I'm based in Orlando. And I try to focus more on the native fish. Um, But uh, down south, there's like very few – there's like no native freshwater fish down south that doesn't exist in Orlando already. So most of my trips go up – I end up being north. So um, the panhandle has – like, almost all the fish left for me that I have not caught mm. in Florida that are freshwater natives, like, 50, like 50% of them are in the panhandle.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, what's, um, I do want you to go through and, and say, you know, kind of what are some of the crazy stories of, I, I have to imagine that you go out there so often. Okay, you've, got, yeah. you've got crazy stories, but I do want to also touch on, and you pick which one you want to do first. Um, I'm interested in your lifer list. Like, you know, what's your swag on how many of, you know, how many fish have you actually caught, and then how many are left for you? Um, on your list
1: um so currently my life my, my life list uh is like 150 something species wow. uh, I, I gotta pull it up um but something 150 species caught in total over like multiple locations my whole life that i've kept and everything has to be photographed and identifiable if you can't identify it you can't count it yep. so we have to go as as far as within a reasonable doubt because sometimes you can't identify everything without like genetics tests but as if you can If you can prove it within a reasonable doubt, then it's pretty safe to call it for your life list. Um, But I've caught – let me pull it up. 156 total today uh, of of species caught on hook and line. Um, And in Florida, I've caught – I've caught 61 – Florida freshwater fish. And so there's total like 130, 150 something Florida freshwater fish.
0: That's amazing. 60 61 Florida fish, freshwater fish? I've caught,
1: yeah, I've caught 61 freshwater fish in Florida on hook and line. 61 different species.
0: Different species. 61 unique yeah. species of fish, freshwater, hook and line. That's amazing. That, Florida. Is, and, that is that uh, is
1: cool. There's a there's a total of like 125. So
0: Wow, man, halfway there, dude. Awesome. Yeah, That's yeah. The, the so l- cool.
1: l- large majority of them left for me are up in North Florida. So, are they gonna uh, do a couple trips up there?
0: Are there any totally new genus up there that you haven't caught yet, or are they just kind of you know same genus, just different, uh, different, different variant, different species of um, you know some of these fish that you've already caught yeah there's a
1: there's a quite a few fish that are like just unique that i haven't caught in uh, a lot of um like there's a Ciprinella genus i have not caught any fish in that genus yet and it's like a shiner that is pretty much uh, a northern fish Mm -hmm. um, and they just kind of barely range into north florida there's also like suckers i've never caught a sucker um i've caught a lake chub sucker but that's kind of a different fish but there's a spotted suckers and then there's carp uh carp suckers and quillbacks all those kind of fish up north you don't get them down here in Orlando or uh, anywhere else throughout Florida. They're only in the panhandle, which is – it's just like – I did a trip up to the panhandle. Uh, here we'll, we'll get up with some crazy stories. Uh, I did a trip up to the panhandle with my buddy um, last year in the springtime, about a year – like about a year ago. And we did a camping trip, uh, spent a couple nights in, in Fort White by the Santa Fe River. And then me and my buddy Pierce, uh, he's uh, got a got – a, he's known as a, a Finnafish on Instagram. And we did a fishing trip up north, camping for like four days by ourselves in the woods. And we like sort of went into it blindly, we just kind of dispersed primitive camping. And uh, when we got up north, the whole river was just blown out. Like there was no way to get to the river besides like the whole road was flooded. So like I don't know how to put this into perspective, but street signs were underwater. Wow. We're kayaking. We're kayaking on rapids like 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 rapids fast moving water and there's like a there's like a a speed limit sign and a stop sign and we're like there's when it when water gets that high it it becomes almost impossible to catch fish out of it because they just disperse so far yeah and so we had gone out there for four days and we're like we're screwed we cannot catch a fish we fished out there for like worms for like four days and maybe caught one fish it was it was a struggle uh, yeah, we ended up finding a dog and that that changed the whole trip and we found a puppy and adopted adopted a puppy out
0: there you, you, in the middle of the woods. Hold on, hold on. You you found a so set that out for me a little bit more. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, we're, fish, we're fishing by this creek and uh we we had just gotten to the spot up in uh, in a town called like Blountstown or something or some crazy North Florida town. Um, <laughs> yeah, Appalach- we're fishing the Apalachicola River and uh, a little creek called Jenkins Creek, a little tiny creek in the forest. When when the water gets that high, we, gotta, we, we can't fish the main river very effectively. So we fished up a little creek, and we're fishing there. We're about to leave. We're like, we cannot catch a fish. And so all of a sudden, this little puppy comes up to us, and we're like, wait, there's a puppy. And we're like, yeah, there's a puppy there, and it just starts – comes, comes towards us like really, really hesitantly. And then once it realized like we were not going to hurt her, she just comes straight towards us and would not leave us alone. And we're like, well, we're out here. There's no fish that we can catch right now. And well, we got a puppy and we ended up adopting <laughs> her. And now it's my, it's my buddy's, my buddy's, uh, my buddy's dog now. And he's had her for a year and having a great time with her.
0: So your friend, your friend Pierce.
1: Yeah. My friend Shout Pierce, out to yeah.
0: Pierce, man. Look at that. Taking home yeah. a, a wild puppy. That's awesome. Yeah exactly yeah
1: and so we that whole trip kind of changed in that moment we're like well we can't catch fish and now we got a puppy we're kind of like a little bit in survival (laughs) mode and we couldn't we looked around we could not find any owner couldn't find no caller kind of a ghost town up there um weird weird place it's like so unFlorida. florida like like i go all over the place never felt me and my buddy like we never felt so uncomfortable in florida our whole lives and we're like up north like this is weird it's like there was some creepy stuff up there like we just be at the side of the road and there's like a dead chicken just with his head chopped off we're like what is going on did you hear
0: any banjo music in the background that was dinner now 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 that one <laughs> any any, could have been. any of that stuff going on oh uh, not man really, but yeah
1: it was, it was <laughs> yeah we were out there at night too with the dog for the first night and all of a sudden a pack of coyotes was like right next to us we we're in the tents with the and we we're like scared for the dog or like because coyotes will chase the dog and oh yeah and, Yeah, well, we were kind of scared for the dog, but it was it was yeah, quite a trip.
0: Yeah, where where I live right now, it's uh, um, pretty much kind of in the forest of uh, outside of the Seattle area. Um, you know, 150 foot tall fir trees and all that stuff. So we have black bears roll through here. I was jogging one night and saw this big giant mass in front of a knocked over garbage can, and I shine my light on it. Sure enough, massive black bear. And, uh, yeah. there was this like weird standoff where it's like, ah, oh, crap. Cause there kind of weren't a lot of houses in that area where I, where I was. And so then I'm like, all right, let's try to make some noise. So I'm like, ah, bear run. And then the bear ran away. Thank God. Cause uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Had he, had he even like, you're going to try to get some of my garbage and came at me. I probably, probably wouldn't be here right now or, or maybe less an arm or something, yeah. but uh, we do, get, we, we get coyotes for sure. And at like two in the morning, you will hear the pack of coyotes just yapping. And it sounds like they're right outside our window.
1: Yeah, it's actually interesting. Um, I go all over the place, sometimes even solo missions at night in the forest. I actually have had, like, I can't even think of very many, like, wild animal encounters that were, like, kind of kind of scary. Gators, I actually don't run into them very often, surprisingly. Um, I see them from time to time, but they kind of just keep their distance. Um, there'll be a couple times where I'll be fishing, like, around the coast, um, like the Cape Canaveral or Merritt Island National Seashore. Marin Island um, Wildlife Refuge on that side of the East Coast, there are some big gators there. and I've had them chase, like, my tarpons or my ladyfish or snook. But if, you're, if uh, otherwise, in the swamps here in Orlando, I don't come into them very often. Bears are around here, too. And I recently did a camping trip in Ocala. And there's supposed to be a lot of bears there, but I never, never really run into them out there,
0: I, you, which is interesting. You never hear about bears in Florida.
1: Huh. Yeah, they're they're around. There uh, we have we have black bears, we have Florida bears throughout like the whole peninsula. But um, yeah, I've never run into them.
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, the, the bears never get any love in the news. I mean, that's good that they're like probably not yeah. attacking people. But it's yeah. you always hear about the gators, you always hear about the pythons, you hear about the iguanas, but the bears don't ever get any love.
1: Yeah, actually, we were, we went camping. And there was like a whole like they were like really serious about like keeping all the food in the bear safe bear safe uh, cages. Oh no, no the little little things you keep your, uh, food in for the bears not to get into, but, right. but, uh, yeah, I don't have many like encounters where like, I'm like, I'm kind of scared, you know, so, for like an animal.
0: So when you, when you go out there though, right, you guys have, um, water moccasins or cotton cottonmouths. What, you, you... Yeah, actually that, that is,
1: that is usually my, my bigger concern because I'm usually walking out there in the grass and they'll just, there might just be a snake, um, in the grass and, You step on it and that's not good, but, um, venomous snakes, snakes in general, I actually don't see very much and I I actually go out actively and try to find them. So (laughs) I'm doing pretty bad with snakes, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's kind of funny. I don't see those too often. I've probably seen two water moccasins my whole time in Florida, but.
0: In the water moccasins, they, don't they have a little bit of a reputation for being ornery and a little aggressive?
1: I've heard people say they chase them, but the two times I've run into them, they just kind of like ran away as soon mm. as possible. I was like, you know, I, I, whenever someone tells me like a snake story, like, oh, he chased me and bit up my leg three times. If I wasn't wearing snake proof, if I wasn't wearing snake proof shorts or pants, then I wouldn't have had a, I would have been sent to the hospital or whatever. I had a couple guys tell me that kind of stuff before and I'm like, yeah, I doubt it.
0: <laughs> just telling some stories yeah so then on on the note of the gators though right like are you you at least before like you roll up to a spot right like you're oh that little bank right there that looks pretty good i mean are you at least given that cursory look of like yes okay yes
1: definitely you, you always want to be conscious of where you are you always want to just like uh if you're at a new spot you don't want to turn your back to the water you, you, you that's always a thing and I'll, especially if, when i'm waiting to these swamps on like this time of year like march uh, april may that's when there's that's like the nesting season that's a that's a big time Mm. to be on on guard uh if you're if you're going into the swamps that i'm going into then it's a concern but usually like most people aren't going to have very many like you know what down south it's a whole other thing down south i see them all the time but you know what here in like orlando in my neighborhood ponds where there would probably be more gators they they get like uh they get captured and taken to like like other places, they relocated. don't like yeah. the neighborhood will, will complain about them or, you know, which yeah. is, uh, it just happens when you have people living next to gators. Yeah.
0: What about the, uh, the invasive pythons? Have you ever come across any of those?
1: Um, yeah, those guys are all in the Everglades. We don't have them in Orlando, but I hear about them all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they get, they get huge and there's a lot of them down South in the Everglades. Yeah.
0: Cause it sounds like a pretty terrible situation in the Everglades, how those things are just decimating.
1: So, yeah, you know, the,
0: the mammal populations and basically everything else down there. That if it's got a pulse, the pythons are crushing yeah, it.
1: Yeah, they'll they'll eat they'll eat gators and stuff like that. But uh, I don't have much experience with them at all. Uh, I I've never seen one.
0: Do you, um, do you want? Have you done any collecting in the Everglades?
1: Um, have not actually. Okay, not at all. Okay. I've been there once as a kid, but I have not done a whole, full trip down there. And you know what? The reason why the reason why is there's just no. There's no there's no native native fish for me to target down oh, there that okay. I haven't already caught. Gotcha. Um, there's uh, like maybe there's some saltwater stuff, but but that's saltwater, you know. It's, right. It's a whole other a whole other thing for me.
0: Are there are there any invasives that you you have gone out to to purposely target? Like um, like maybe like a snakehead, right? Because I, I believe those are in the canals in Miami yeah. and whatnot.
1: Yeah. When I was a kid, I actually did a trip down to catch some snakehead. Um, I went to like Palm Beach with, uh, and met up with a friend there and. We caught some clown knife fish. Um, oh, that's nice. a cool one. It's a really, really cool one. Uh, so, that's like such a unique fish.
0: So a clown knife, I feel like that thing would be incredibly difficult to catch. What was your experience with that?
1: Um, well, they're well, they're invasive, first of right. all. So um, there's quite a lot of them in my what I've noticed. There's a lot of them. But they have sort of a limited range down south for now. Um, and we they're nocturnal too, so that's a whole other thing is uh, – but they're predatory fish, so we you can target them with like live, like live, uh, live bluegill or shiners, and they'll eat that. Um, but because they're predatory, we, we had fun targeting them with lures. Mm. And typically, because they're nocturnal, they'll stack up in the like dark areas during the during the day, because um, they don't like they don't like the light. Um, so bridges are a huge thing down there because they don't they're in canals. These fish down south is just like completely like canalized and there's just so many canals going through South Florida and these fish, that's why there's so many invasives down there is they just spread through there. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at some Google images right now and there's, you know, they ha- are, they has are amazing. Be, has to be Florida, right? Because it's deep blue kayak They've got posted pictures of, you know, dudes just yeah. holding massive clown knives in their kayaks, uh, catching them on hook yeah. and line.
1: They're, they're awesome game fish. Um, would love to target them in their native range someday.
0: They're so cool,
1: and they're unique too. They're air-breathing, bony-tongue fish. They're just like super, super, super cool.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely awesome. And somebody's got There's some li- sick clown. Wh- where is this? So somebody on Etsy has some some like awesome graffiti-style clown knife fish. Let me let me link this to you for 300 bucks. Check this thing out. <laughs> this guy. Let's see this. Who is it? Hookheads. Hookheads, the seller on Etsy. Let me uh, let me drop this in the little Skype chat for you. And I know this is, this is the part that really makes for a wonderful audio podcast right here. The guests don't get to see it, but it's a uh, super cool clown knife fish. Um, maybe I'll link it in the show notes if I can remember. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, right?
1: I, follow, I, follow, I think I follow that guy on Instagram. Really?
0: The guy, Artists
1: GXNIE. I follow him on Instagram. That's awesome. He does a lot of fish art.
0: Yeah, let's check this guy out. Let's give a shout out to Hookheads. Yeah, GXNIE Collection out of West Palm Beach, Florida. That's so cool. He's got an awesome peacock bass on here. He's got some stickers. Sweet. Yeah.
1: I, f- I follow him on Instagram. He's got some really cool drawings.
0: He's got a little Majin Buu, so for the Dragon Ball Z nerds, right? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Good times. Uh, So let's see here. What about um any plans or, like, uh, any plans to do international collecting, international fishing? If not, yes. like, okay, Definitely. L- let me hear.
1: I, actu- I actually did a trip uh, with, uh, with my school, I did a trip to Peru and that was amazing. But, um, because with, it was with my school, I like, was kind of limited on where and what I could, like where I could go and what I could do. But, um, I did a lot of collecting there.
0: Did you know that we have that in common Zane? I have also been to Peru. That's awesome. Where That's did-
1: awesome. Yeah. Per- Peru is amazing. I spent a lot of time. Um, and I spent some time in Iquitos mm-hmm. and then went downstream from there. Um, yeah, that place is awesome. But when I went, it was, it was really difficult to get fish because it was high water mm. <laughs> and all the fish were up in the trees. And I, 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 I could not catch very many fish on hook and line and I cast netted some fish too, just like to see what's around. And uh, a lot of like, a lot of couple, a couple of cichlids, uh, a lot of those little armored catfish. I don't know how to, what they're called. They have the armored catfish with those weird noses. They're like, the, they like super, super, super cool. They the uh, the lines down their side and long tails. Uh, I have some pictures of them from Peru. I have a lot of pictures from Peru.
0: Huh. Armored catfish with a long tail that's not a Corydora. That's not a... I mean, there's definitely Cory's in the water. That would be interesting.
1: They have have the sucker mouth. Yeah, we did get some some Cory's too, like the ones with the green green sheen to them. Yeah, like Uh,
0: maybe the... I think maybe we got some Brocas down there too, like the larger variant of a Corydora.
1: Yeah, I, I ended up... Catching, I, I did not catch many fish there on hook and line. It was it was a real struggle, mm-hmm. but I, I I did catch some nice fish. Um, one of my favorite fish I caught down there was the flag cichlid, the Mezonata festivus. Mm. That fish is amazing, super super cool. They look like um, they look like gouramis almost, but they're cichlids. Did we they have it? like the long.
0: Let me see if we Mezonata right. festivus. Right. Those things are cool. Um. Oh yes 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 yeah yeah yeah. I think we yeah we got a couple of these on our trip. That was awesome. I
1: also caught a. I was, my first fish I caught down there was, uh, was a cichlid was a without a common name.
0: Do you want to know what my first fish I netted down there? A wolf fish. A wolf fish. Yep. That
1: was one of my targets, and I, I, I did not catch yep. one.
0: The first, Those things are so cool. The first little spot we went to, I just shoved my net in the water and out popped a, uh, one of the, the wolf fish.
1: Yeah. I, th- when I went there, it was high water, and it was, it was a struggle to catch anything. Um, you know what? We did find some puffers. Those were amazing. Oh, nice. What, what, so
0: what was, cause we tried to target them and, um, you know, our, our, our guides, they had said that typically sandy beaches, those are kind of the areas where they do the seine netting for them. So where did you guys find, uh, puffers?
1: Um, they were, I think, I don't remember. They were like the main, the main river. We were seen netting Right. uh, It was a, there was a couple groups of people who were doing it, and I, I don't remember if I netted it or if someone else netted it. But um, I tend not to remember my net catches as much as the hook one. That's <laughs> but um, that's a fish I'll, I'll definitely want to go back there
0: for. It was out of the main river somewhere. Yeah, that's, not, that's basically
1: not, not not a not a side creek. Yep, you know, that, not not a side river. It was a main river. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what uh, where we were. We pulled up the, the main boat and just kind of and got off on you know the large sandy beach and just started saying netting to try to catch some. Um, uh Pimodontus is that the is that the catfish? We've got a ton of those. uh We just call them pims for short. And there's actually a video oh, me oh. take, taking it out of P- the pimloids. net. Yeah, pimloids, I think you're that's, talking about pimloids. Yes, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not, I caught one actually when I was
1: there. um I think it's called I forgot the I forgot the name of it, but it was it was Brachiostoma juvenis. I think that's the, the name.
0: So you got a chance to see Iquitos at high time, at at high water where everything that's way up on stilts, like the water is basically like right, like right there at those buildings. Is that, uh,
1: I don't know if it was peak high water or, or if it was like still just like sort of high water, but I think I went, um, in like April or May, I went April or May. Mm. So things were, things were not like peak high. I could tell things weren't, weren't peak high, but. Things were still like very high. Yeah,
0: I, I went there when it was dry, and uh, it's crazy what, what, how high they build. What them time,
1: up. What time of year did you did you go? I end th- up going? I think I went
0: mid August. Yeah, that's what I heard. Is uh, August September is like low water. It's crazy how high they build those things up on stilts. Their houses and yeah, these buildings. It is it is insane how high. Like the fluctuation of the Amazon River, and then trying to trying to understand like the breadth that that river runs and just how much water it takes for it to raise up on these banks. So like oh, I'm seeing these banks like fully exposed, you know, you see the water marks where it is, where the water is on the yeah, trees yeah. high, uh, during the, they in the wet season. And it's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing to think of how large that area is and just how much water it takes to do that.
1: Yeah. I remember seeing the dolphins too. Those things are so cool. Yes. Um, yes. The dolphins are amazing. Um, I caught a couple snakes while I was there too. I, I caught a tree boa. Um, yeah, those, there's so much cool stuff over there. I, I got to do another trip back there, but it was so hard to catch fish. It was really hard to catch fish, which was kind of like, like not what I expected. Cause I, you know, you, you go in, I remember, I remember watching river monsters so much and I, was like, <laughs> like, and I you would, I would be like, Oh, I'm going to catch a thousand, thousand piranhas every cast. Like it's going to be insane. I'm never going to. I'm not going to, I need to get steel leaders and all that stuff. I, I could not catch a fish. It was so hard. Yeah. So what, um, I just sent, what just sent was, a photo here.
0: What was the, yeah, like, I see that, that puffer. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. We definitely, it would have been awesome to catch some puffers. Um, what was the, what class was this for?
1: It was an environmental uh, studies class. Um, yeah. And uh, I ended up doing a project on, on like the fish there for the class. Awesome.
0: Um, and how long? Yeah, it was, was a study, study abroad trip.
1: It was like uh, a
0: week long. That's awesome. Uh, did you go to the, the Manatee uh, Rescue Center or the Manatee Research Center while you guys were there?
1: No, we we didn't we didn't do that. My professor was actually studying dolphins, so uh-huh. we got to see those. Um, and uh, we did we, we did like a, a lot of hiking. Uh, I we saw some poison dart frogs, and then nice. we had, the the trip was kind of rushed too because we had to, we ended up doing a whole segment on um, on the like we went to the Machu Picchu and all that.
0: Oh wow! So that was.
1: So travel took a lot of time to get just just to get to Cusco.
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: so, uh, but yeah, I, I would have loved to spend more time in the river. I, the Machu Picchu was like super super cool, but the jungle is like where it is for me.
0: Yeah, no, that's that is so awesome that you got a chance to to go on that kind of trip. Um, and you know you- what? I do want to I do want to go back to um,
1: Cusco and fish the rivers there because that's like the headwaters of the Amazon. Mm. There's uh, a couple of rivers got stem from like the mountains and kind of like rapids like down the mountains i remember when i was traveling there i got to see that how how the rivers were there it looked really cool
0: are they are they going to have more like benthic kind of darter kind of fish that are um,
1: um... i think it's a lot of uh i think it's a lot of uh tetras and oh really like, sucker mouth cat, catfish um i remember looking at it like looking through like like a pdf it was like talking about the fish there um wouldn't
0: some is it not too cold there um like way up i don't on, know. like we're actually you know what Corey, um Corey and dean their trip when they went with uh the year before they did that kind of trip where they were actually going up high up um in more southern peru so i think closer to probably where you were in like machu picchu area because it's that's mm-hmm. that, that's down south right uh compared to iquitos mm-hmm. um and i think yeah that's they, they were getting Coreys, they're getting um, um uh, different um uh, and they were in more of like Mountainy kind of streams, as opposed to you know just straight up Amazon River.
1: Yeah, typically in like that, in like the Amazon, like the rivers and that drainage, it's going to be either a tetra, a catfish, or um, what was the other one? Yeah, tetras and catfish are like super super common there. It's like everything's a tetra, Mm. even the 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 piranhas. They're all in the caraca forms, you know. They're all
0: they're all basically that. So. And in, in, in those those are school. In your whole time there you didn't catch a piranha at all? I caught one. It was okay. actually an
1: uncommon I think it's a more uncommon species, so that was really cool. Oh, it was nice. the uh, sharp sharp nose piranha. I forgot the it's Sarasalamus is the is the is the is the scientific name.
0: Sharp nosed piranha. You know yeah. somebody is a hardcore fish nerd when they can just rattle off the uh, scientific names like you are. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: But yeah, and Amazon in Amazon everything's like a, either a cichlid, a tetra, or a catfish. Mm-hmm. It's like caraciforms, saluriforms, and cichlid cichlids. You know?
0: Yeah, it's amazing like how many apistogrammas you can catch when you're uh, when you're going uh, yeah. netting apistogrammas, uh, uh, the Achilles. It's just it's insane. It's like epistogramma heaven down there. Um, well, that's. Yeah. I
1: think I, I may have may have seen a few when I was down there. Caught caught a couple there on, but with my nets. Mm -hmm.
0: um so so then tell me about uh so educationally and i think we'll we'll wrap up because we're hitting that well we're definitely over the hour mark so i appreciate your time zane um your education right now so you are a biology major and once you finish with your undergrad you still have um, academic aspirations right and so yeah what is that and then how does that tie back into multi-species fishing um micro fishing all that fun stuff that you do
1: so, yeah, right now I'm an undergrad at UCF. I recently changed from engineering. It took me a while to realize, like, I don't want to do engineering. Even though the classes were, like, all right, I was like, uh, I'm getting through these classes, but I don't want to do engineering. So I was like, I need to, I need to do something I want to do. So I changed to biology, and uh, classes are actually harder for me, believe it or not. The, the biology classes are harder for me than the engineering classes, Um but after I finish my undergrad, I wanna to go to um do a master's program somewhere. For, uh, hopefully genetics is what I really want to do.
0: And then um, And then yeah. with, with that genetics. Like what what do you want to do with uh with that? Um
1: currently not not totally sure. I just wanna learn about it and then be able to like I, I just, my goal is just be able to run my own fish clips. That's what honestly is what I wanna do. Uh, it would be so cool to like oh, I caught this weird cichlid out of this ditch in Florida. What is this? You know, it's like, well, I'll run some clips and find out they're all hybrids anyway, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: And, and, a, and a fish clip would be like you would take a clipping of their uh, fins and then you'd yeah. run your, your DNA analysis on that. Because um, as, exactly. as you said, like some of these species, they look so similar to each other, even though it's like known yeah. there's, there's like two or three or multiple species within a given genus. Um, they're like from a phenotype perspective, they look identical. So you almost exactly. need to do the genetic fin clipping to actually figure out what the hell it is, and maybe it might, like you're saying, be a hybrid.
1: Yeah, there's there's tons of these uh, cichlids that get released here, and they're all aquarium strains. So that makes things even more complicated because they're all hybridizing in aquariums. So when it comes to like doing species ID uh, for like a personal, like for a personal life list, it becomes like a whole headache. Well, is this fish? the one that's been commonly reported or is this one that looks a little weird and it's just, you know, cause there's all these like cyclosoma and, uh, you know, they're, they're everywhere here and telling them apart can be a whole, all pain.
0: Mm. And do, So do you see yourself then kind of parlaying that into a career with, um, like, uh, the Florida wild, like department of wildlife or, um, kind of any of these like state wildlife agencies?
1: Maybe, uh, I would like to do my own research for like maybe some of those org- organizations, but um, I might end up just taking this and just be, just doing something career wise in the health field. Mm, okay. Um, and then uh, I could run genetics on if I could run genetics for myself on the side it would be perfect. Gotcha. But career career path a little blurry at the moment. But. Yeah.
0: Just so I I think you're on the right path. I guess you know to to reiterate that in terms of. Uh, you're following a passion, right? You're following what you have a personal passion for. And that is ultimately going to lead to way more satisfaction in the long run for you because you're not, you know, necessarily chasing a paycheck, right? Or just a career, you're you're chasing your passion first. And then hopefully, you know, you can a a career just blossoms from that.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. That's what I'm hoping for, at least.
0: All right, Zane. So I'm gonna be in Florida in a couple months. Where are we going, man? Um, hit me up. I'm, I'm in Orlando.
1: So if you're coming through Orlando, let me know. And, uh, we'll do some, uh, we'll probably get some pig sunfish. fish. I'm sure you, you'll love those. <laughs> I
0: was going to say like, what, what would, what is your perfect, like, I'm going to take a newbie to this. Like what, what is the, what are you going to have them do? Like what's that itinerary?
1: Uh, if, it depends what you want to do. Do you want to micro fish or do you want to go netting? It's like both. Those are,
0: could we do, those could are we different do things.
1: One? All right. For, well, yeah, I'll take you to my river and, the best time would be like now through April when it's low. Otherwise, doing river river stuff in the uh, in the summertime is like kind of hard because everything floods. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a ton of like swamps we could go to and catch some catch some killifish, catch some uh, shiners. Shiners are all over the place here too in the in the rivers. That's awesome. Some of the prettiest shiners too. There's some bright red ones, and they're so so cool.
0: That's awesome. Well, I think uh, me, you, and Ryan, man, and we'll, they all we'll they all adjust happen. well for your tanks. Oh, nice. Yeah, we gotta make we
1: gotta all we gotta make a trip, and, and they all they all do well in your tanks. Shiners, killifish, they all they all do well. Mm-hmm. I, even my buddy keeps some of the some of the like some of the hard ones, like uh, silversides and shiners, can be hard to transport, but once you put them in your tank and they get adjusted, they'll be fine. Mm.
0: Good stuff, man. Yeah, I mean, the, your native self and Molly. I mean, the moment I saw it when I was out with Ryan and Corey doing that that collecting or just the the, the playing around, I guess we could say, I was like, man, I would love to bring some it, just something as simple as a native self and Molly back home. It's like, oh, those things
1: are self awesome, and mollies man. are awesome. Yeah, the thing is, they hybridize with the aquarium released ones, so that makes things really annoying mm. too.
0: <laughs> well, at least at least from an ignorance perspective, I could be like, I got these in the wild in Florida. They're native, at least yeah, in my true. head. You know,
1: I. I there's a lot of spots where you can guarantee they aren't, they aren't like aquarium strains. Nice. You just got to go like further away from the city and they'll be like, Oh, you can tell like they look, they look nice, you know?
0: That's cool, man. Well, it's, it's, it's awesome to talk to somebody that has the adventure spirit like you do Zane and that you just get out there and you are just enjoying nature all the time, man. I love, I love following your Instagram. Uh, I'll have it linked into this show notes and uh, yeah, man, I, I appreciate your time, Zane. This has been a blast for me.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun.